Hey, welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm James. I'm so glad you're here with me today because today we have on one of my favorite people in the whole world. We have David Englehart on from New Mexico. And I'm just telling you, guys, I don't know how many conversations I've had with David. When I, when I got done with it, I thought to myself, why didn't I record that? Just really appreciate his wisdom so much. He's going to share some things. We're talking today about how do you build a sending culture in your campus ministry. Uh, one, you're going to hear a couple things. One, you're going to hear about him being pretty honest and uh, really giving God the credit for how God shaped and built that. I think you'll still get some really great things out of that. Uh, one, like let God build a sending culture in your ministry. But two, just some really great, wise things he says. Uh, you're going to hear him say that over the last 30 years that he's been there, they have sent out 60 journeymen, 62-year people, with 19 of those going back long-term, which is just tremendous. Just tremendous. So what else that means is David's one of the old-timers. And if you'll notice, I put in the show notes something about that. He wasn't one of the founders, but when I talked to John, I said, hey, who are some of the guys that were around at the beginning? David was one of the names that came up. You'll also hear some other names that you heard on the Founders series. You'll hear Max's name come in there. You'll hear Lisa. Her name will be there. So let's jump in with that. I didn't do a lot of editing to this one, and we had a little issues with the sound quality, so I'm sorry for that. We'll have it better on the next one best we can. Let's jump in. David, thanks for being with us today. Give us just a little bit of quick for the people listening. Give us a real quick idea. I know you're the New Mexico State Christian Challenge Director, but you're also like for the state of New Mexico. You're the Christian Challenge Director. Give our audience just a little bit of a background. How long have you been doing that? And then we'll kind of jump into today's topic. Okay. Yeah, I am the I'm the director at New Mexico State University Christian Challenge. I've been here since '85, and uh, I have. I took the state director, state collegiate director role for the Baptist Commission in New Mexico, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago, maybe 14. I forget exactly when that was. As, as our state guy retired and stepped away, he was in another role, in another convention role, and he stepped away. So, yeah, it's been, I don't know, 13, 14 years. Uh, so, yeah, I... We oversee and try to supervise and encourage. We've got eight challenge ministries in New Mexico. So different, eight different. So, how old were you when you started at NMSU? Give me the quick story of how you how you got into campus ministry. Yeah, j- just in kind of the nutshell, I transferred to NMSU as a student when I was a junior. I had come to faith, you know, earlier as a as a young kid, a 12-year-old, but I did not do anything with that. I didn't grow up in a family that went to church. And so really, I showed up on campus here uh, with no intention of doing anything spiritual necessarily, but but by God's grace, the BSU here reached me through intramurals, and I began to come around by by mid-October, early October, my my junior year, and man, just made some good friends. And I, I tell people, I fell in love with Jesus in October of my junior year, 1978. You know, within a year, ironically, I mean, I was such a young babe in Christ, even though I had trusted Christ eight years earlier. I was just a baby in Christ. And God called me to ministry 
that next fall, by October of my senior year, he's calling me to ministry. You know, so thank God I had friends here in ministry here, but also a pastor, a local pastor that really took me under his wing, just encouraged me, helped me to believe that I could do that, even though it's as foreign to me as, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. And so I graduated, been a year here as an intern. I was the first intern to serve here at NMSU in the, in the fall and fall of 80, spring of 81. And then I uh, went to seminary in the fall of 81 and finished that in the spring of 85. And by, you know, again, a longer story, but by the grace of God, had the opportunity to come here as the director as soon as I graduated from seminary in 85. So I was, in 85, I was 27 years old. And you've been there ever since. That's pretty sweet. Right. Chance to put down some deep roots. Yeah. We're both New Mexicans, but the first time I ever heard your name was overseas, and it was because you partner with my wife's team overseas. I feel like different campus ministries produce different things. Like some campus ministries produce, you know, great Christian businessmen and women or great professionals that go out and live that way. And some produce maybe really good church members and others produce other campus ministers. I feel like one of the things that you have produced or your ministry has produced has been a lot of journeymen or or people who have went overseas and served for a couple of years or longer. So I wanted to to talk to you and just ask you some questions. How did you first start getting into missions? How did God lay that on your heart? And then how do you, how did you begin building and incorporating that into your ministry so that the product of that? That element was kind of birthed. Some, th- some good things happened before 93, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I would tell this story in the context of December 1993. Okay. We had a guy, uh, I mean, just put this in in historical context, James. I mean, you know, 1000 Square having an 89. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the Berlin Wall fell in 91. I mean, it's like, that is, we didn't even know it living in those days. How profoundly impactful that was going to be on the world, much less the missions, global situation. Didn't know. But so it's only looking back that I realized this, but in the fall of 93, I'm, I'm going to use this name and you can decide not to, but most of the folks with one link know who Rusty is. Yeah. Rusty came out of our ministry. I graduated in the spring of 93. During that senior year, he felt called to go journeyman. We did not have a context for that. We were aware of it. We, did, we didn't have any particular strategy for raising up, or you know. But he wanted to go. Thanks the Lord, he had gone on a summer project just the year before. And of all things, God put him in Central Asia. And ironically, with two other guys in a city with no career folks, you know, the, hmm. the IMB. You know, at times we'll do that strategically based on field strategy. And so these three guys were living in this relatively small town in Central Asia. 
And I got I got a call from Bob Anderson. Okay, sometime about the probably Septemberish of ninety three. He said, Hey David, we need to go. We need to go to see those guys. Is one of the ones was the Histons, a guy named John K State, and another guy was a guy named David from State, where Johnny was. Okay, so these three guys didn't know each other, but they landed together, went through FBO together and all that. That was when Bob called, you know, one, I already realized how much of a valued mentor Bob was in my life, even just, just within the last two or three years of knowing him. So when he called, I realized, uh, oh man, I don't even, I don't, first of all, I don't have a choice. I need to do this. But secondly, that was so out of my box. The only place I'd ever been. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, how did you get into the Bob, into relationship with Bob and plugged into that network? Through Max. Uh, that, this is another story. You can feel free to okay. kind of save this for another part, but i just so fortunate. You know, here we are isolated in New Mexico. Nobody even knows who we are. Nobody even knows where Christmas as much, you know, mm-hmm. and Back in the early 90s, Max had begun to do director workshops at Sullivan. Uh, they're outside of Norman, or their, their retreat center. And I didn't know anything about them, but at, at one of our spring retreats, a leadership training conference, we had a guy named John Hawkins. I don't know if you know him. John mm-hmm. Hawkins came to speak. Actually, Harold Bullock. Mm. Came to speak at that, and he brought John, who was their collegiate guy at Hope at the time, okay. among, among other jobs that he had. John, just you, he's one of those guys, and just has the gift of hospitality. He's mm. one of the kindest, most gracious men I've ever met. In my life. Mm. And within a weekend, John had convinced me. That April and I needed to go to that retreat, that that director's workshop. That that he was going to just invite me up, you know, on on his own. And so we went that summer, the summer of '91. We got there and realized that basically everybody there was in campus ministry who had come out of Max's ministry at OU. I mean, there may have been one or two other people that that weren't in that network. And April and I tell this story. It, it's true. I've, I've, I've told Max and Sandra this, and they don't remember. So I think it's just normal for them. We're there. We kind of know who people are. You know, I've been in campus ministry for six years, so I've been to, to different things and been around them. But every time we sat down to eat, Max and Sandra came and sat at our table. Hmm. And here's the room full of 70 other men and women who came out of his ministry. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and we're just astounded. And that, you know, now you know Max. We, we, that, it makes sense. That's Max and Sandra. Mm-hmm. And they just gracious, loved on us. We drove away from that comment, commenting to each other how much time they spent with us. Well, I met Bob at that and then consecutive ones now the next year, et cetera. So we were just kind of barely acquainted. He, I realized, well, what a friend. He was 
very eager to invest in me and just encourage me and help. So then I get the call in the fall of 93. Okay. I don't know Bob that well, but all of a sudden I'm making plans, trying to raise money to go to Central Asia. Mm-hmm. Some place I've never been prior to that. The only places I've ever been out of the country are Mexico and, and Guatemala. Okay? okay. So I've never been across the ocean. Just to ask this, sorry, was was Rusty just an anomaly? Was he your first guy? Or like how did he how did he all of a sudden because okay. he's a he's a rural New Mexico boy too? That's right. That's right. Now, I mean his story, okay, I, and this is way too complicated. And we'll, you you feel free to edit out. But in the spring of eighty seven, God did something that literally changed my life and this ministry. We had a guy named Roland DeLapp, okay? He's a legend in campus ministry, evangelism. Came to lead a retreat. He called, said, hey, if you want, I'll come in a day early, and I'll take students out on campus. We'll share the gospel. Say, sure, let's do that. Students had signed up. And that Friday, as he was taking people out and coming back, someone who had signed up didn't show up. And again, I have this image in my head. He and I are standing there staring at the sign-up list. And Roland turns to me with piercing, merciful, but piercing eyes and says, what's wrong with you? (laughs) My name wasn't up there. And immediately I was convicted and I realized nothing. So I went out with him. Okay. Shortened that story. God literally launched us into an evangelism ministry that weekend through Rollin and through his continuing investment in our ministry and me over the years. Rusty was in on that early, you know, part of that, not in 87, but as he got in 89, we were really going strong. So Rusty's tenure in challenging BSU back then was he was being discipled, he was being trained. He, he had he had some tools. He was really a faithful disciple, great leader, and you know, just a solid guy. And so it didn't surprise me when he came around saying, I'm I'm looking at the journeyman program. Previous to that, we didn't. We knew of people who had gone journeyman before him, before I was the director. But mm-hmm. to my knowledge, and I may be wrong, but to my knowledge, from eighty-five to ninety-three, we didn't have any journeyman. We could have, and I, I'd be ashamed to find out that there were that I couldn't even remember. Anyway, Rusty went journeyman that way. That's to answer that question, and so. Um, so you, it, yeah. So Bob calls. You're like, okay, I've got to go. We we go. We get on the plane. We land. We land in Uzbekistan. There's an OU alum, female OU alum, that's serving as, uh, I think at that time she was career. Maybe she was a journeyman, just a year ahead of them. Anyway, we landed there. Met up with her. She she hosted us. We got in a car. We rented. We we hired a driver. We drove her across the tundra. Uzbekistan mm-hmm. uh, into the neighboring na- nation where Rusty and those guys were. Okay, so that's, but we landed there. As we were coming, as we had come back 
tell you way more about what happened in Rush City, but here's the most poignant experience I've ever had with regard to God making his heart for the nations piercingly known to me. We had spent a week, we were at there, you know, we'd come back, we're about to spend just another couple of days in Tashkent, and then we're gonna fly out, we're gonna come home. We're in the metro, okay, we've taken the metro to go somewhere. It's December, it's cold, it's blooming, it's freezing cold, right? We're walking up out of the darkness of the metro into the gloomy skies. And among the crowd that's coming down the stairs to go into the metro, there was a man, a Uzbek man, who was dressed in a long winter coat, had a hood on with a fur or fur trim. And I, my eyes, I, I just looked at his face. And, it, and as if God spoke to me so clearly, and he said, David, that man will never hear the name of Jesus. And he walked right by me, and I walked back up, and I've never forgotten that. I have never forgotten that. And it's like God used that one picture to help me kind of pull together what God was doing in Central Asia. I mean, I mean, Uzbekistan declared their independence from USSR just two years earlier in 91. Right? They're open now. You can go into them. Same thing with Rusty's country. Right? And so it was just crazy. And I began to get a glimpse of what nations meant, people groups meant. Prior to that, it was just generic missions. Back in the day, campus ministries across the country did missions conferences every five years nationwide. Mission 95 was coming up. It was in December of 94. Okay, so a year after I'd gone to, to, to Central Asia, God had been doing all kinds of work in us here, just awareness things, reading, being aware. Just, and went to Mission 95 in Louisville, Kentucky. We took a group of students and among the many notable speakers, the one that has had just notable influence on me and therefore on this ministry since then is Jeff Lewis. And he, and he just preached it. I mean, he just talked about God's heart for the nations. I mean, it was clear we were beginning to do that. And we, one night during Mission 95, we gathered all of our students into one hotel room in Louisville, Kentucky, and we just prayed, asked God, and we together at that moment agreed we were going to adopt a people group. Before the end of that conference, through the networking that others had provided, we agreed that we were going to adopt a people group in East Asia. And so that summer, we sent a team of 10 to this province and it was almost as we had no idea what was going to happen, right? Shorten this story. I had to do some research because we just finished our journey when we were right? had to try to put some things together. Since Rusty left, 
that summer or that that fall that he left. 470 students have gone on mission out of NMSU to international uh, locations. Wow. Okay. So over the last 30 years, there's 470. 60 of those graduated. Oh, they all graduated. <laughs> <laughs> 60 of those, when they graduated, went journeyman or something similar, ISC, team associate or some perhaps with another company, you know, but nonetheless, a two-year, we're yeah. just kind of generically called term. journeyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a journeyman. Uh, but 60 of sixty uh, alums up to now, I mean, we're we're actually including a couple that's on FPO next month okay. would be part of that 60. And of those 19 have returned to the field, as career workers. Wow. So it's like, what? And and I I, I honestly, I honestly tra- trace that back to God showing me that Uzbek face, mm-hmm. that it became personal to me that that man was never going to hear the name of Jesus. I could have stopped where I was and chased him down, and I didn't have the language I didn't have the it would have done no good. Bob, same way. And so grateful that God did that. But then just it was amazing in the nineties how many of our students were willing to go. I mean, they they just yeah. So we started sending by by ninety I might get this wrong, but by '95, we had four journeymen in our partnership city. Our first summer was '95. By '97, we had four alums as journeymen in that city, and it and then just kind of launched from there. But we we started. I mean, you know, when you when you're new at something and you don't have a, you didn't start with a master plan, mm-hmm. which would never say that we did. I, we didn't hear. You don't know what's normal and what's not. Mm. And I mean, by I'd have to look because I'll get dates wrong, but I think by 98, maybe even by 97, but by 98, we had students who were willing to go on a fall team as well. Mm. See, we, we got to that campus and realized and we're getting there in the summer. They're they're in their summer season. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were actually on this campus at non normal university and be there when they got there, when their incoming students got there? And so we would send a summer team, and then they would be followed up by a fall team. And we we continue to do that in your city as well. You know, at, for the first for for a while into that city. So we had no idea. We had no idea, but it was as if, okay, the one of the questions is how do you how do you mobilize students? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a variety of things, but one natural thing is students mobilize students. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're in a disciple making ministry, mm-hmm. they're going to encourage yeah. their disciples to go. But the other part of that is partnerships mobilize students there's a familiarity 
Yeah, flesh that out a little bit for me. I think I'm. I'm well, we've, we've I mean, talked about this before, but if you're if you're one of my listeners and you haven't dealt with partnerships, or you're thinking about, you have some students that go overseas, or you've been overseas, like what what's the big deal about partnerships? I mean, I didn't know. It's like we kind of grew into that too. And by the way, okay, parallel thinking here. By ninety five. Really, by 93-ish, we're starting to go through one link. Mm-hmm. So there's that stateside partnership. Mm-hmm. But it's been able to network there and find folks that we could partner with on the field. And the partner, the idea of partnering is we would prayerfully seek like-hearted field teams that have a vision for reaching university students, but may not have the resources to do it, and offer to just become a an ongoing partner to just continue. We, we don't have a lot to bring. We're, we're not a large ministry, but just to continue to, to send a team, maybe a small team of four. I've got two questions on that. How do you find your partners? especially at the beginning. And then two, I know you're somebody that promotes having a high level of partnership. What does that look like? What do you recommend to somebody on both counts? We've grown into this, okay? And we continue to actually, for sure. But um, originally, you know, it, the way we found John and Kathy was basically through the IMB. It was, we found them there. I, and it was through that Mission 95 conference in Louisville. Okay, we began to contact them, and then yeah, we didn't know each other. There, there wasn't there wasn't this comfortable like heartedness uh, that you would hope to start with, but it it was quickly became apparent. I mean, they were great. They were mm-hmm. great. They they were open to letting us do whatever because they didn't know what to do. They mm-hmm. they didn't have the freedom at that stage in China's history. They didn't have the freedom to go and live in China. Okay, they were having to come in and out and in and out. They loved the fact that we could put a team on in their on an educational visa, and you know, be there for the summer. So, so that's part of it. How did we find Lisa? Mm-hmm. That's a great story. By the winter of ninety nine, okay, may, maybe two thousand. But by December of 2000, the IMB actually had this massive conference. I forget what they called it now. And I I wish I could even tell you. I think it was in Atlanta. I don't, I don't know where it was. It was some major city far from New Mexico. Yeah, We flew there. Me and a couple of our staff flew there. But it, the IMB was setting this up. They were bringing all kinds of field personnel back to the States for the purpose of encouraging churches to to develop partnerships okay the iron the the funny irony of that whole thing it was a so secure nobody wore a name badge <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? so you didn't know, you know who was all the stateside books did but you know they couldn't you know so yeah. i did we just started kind of networking with people that we sort of knew and that kind of thing and a couple different times lisa's name came up saying mm-hmm. you should chop the lisa used well in the in, in the spring of 
of uh, 2001, we had met, we had met three different people that we wanted to consider as partners, and with their gracious permission, they invited us all all of them in East Asia, not all of them in the mainland, but all of them in East Asia, and they invited us to come and just spend a time. We we took three of our alums with me, and then there were. I think there were two other guys who came along from Texas A&M. They wanted to get in on it. So we just go, and Jamie was one of those. Okay. He was on our campus that time. Okay. And so we just traveled, and and great experience in all three cities, but it became apparent when we landed in the Blue City, wow, this is it. Okay. What, what, made, you, what made that apparent? Or go, uh, okay. A couple things. A couple things. One- is I mean, if you know Lisa, I mean, my goodness, what a what a gracious hostess, and just a tremendous, very articulate about what was going on. She she was just she was needy. See, that's the other thing too <laughs> is we we decided early on, and this was something that was taught to us is go where nobody else is going, mm. go yeah. where no one else is going, and and so she needed help. But I remember I could take you to the street corner in the Blue City. Mm. But we were standing on a corner with all of the seven of us and Lisa. And I asked her the question, what do you think about the effectiveness of using journeyman on your team? Because we had gotten pushback from different different situations, you know, from field teams at times. Understandably, right? Understandably in some cases. And she, she, Stepped right up to the microphone, if you want to say that. And I mean, she boldly said that's how she wants to build her team. Mm-hmm. But that was huge. And I remember walking away and Jamie leaning over to me and saying, this is the place. Mm-hmm. You know? And we hadn't even gone to the third city yet, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. There was a guy named Dan. You might remember him from Peninsula. And oh my goodness, what an amazing guy. But we ended up feeling like we need to go to to the Blue City. And so we began to, we did that, and we st- started to send teams to uh, the Blue City. And then a couple of years after, like in 2003, um, I think it's 2003, maybe four, we started another partnership in North Africa. And we began to do the same thing. We were learning the value of, one, loving on our partners, just caring for them, trying to prepare our teams to to do whatever they need to do to help that team, that field team be be healthy, but also to help them reach the people. We also wanted field teams that really had a vision for reaching university students. Hmm. Okay, here's a conviction, James, and I, I still stand by this. There are vast, great needs around the world, but listen to me on this. If university students don't reach the universities of the world, nobody will. It is that specific. My students today on this campus are more qualified to reach this campus than I am. They're more qualified to reach the campuses in our partner cities than I am. And if we send university students to do all this other stuff, which is wonderful, but we don't send anybody to the campuses, my generation, the retirees, et cetera, they can't. So we just decided 
we're we're going to limit it. We're going to we're going to limit it to universities, college age young adults, regardless of where they might be. And we wanted a partner who's had the had the same conviction, had the same hunger. Mm-hmm. Say, yes, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let me tell you another partnership story. This was after Jamie was now in the field. She left our staff, went to join Lisa. I, I can't, I have to go back and look at my notes yeah, to tell you which day. team, but it, was, but it was a fall team okay, that had gone into the Blue City. It was a, it was a solid team. They came back and, you know, we debriefed, we tried to figure out things, but, you know, and, and back then, remember, you remember um, how hard it was to communicate? Yeah. Right? It was hard. And so back and forth and, and, and Lisa was having some things that she wanted to share that were concerns, not major things, but they were concerns. And I was trying to re- email back securely and try to answer that back and forth and back and forth. And I, I could tell she was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated, and man, I did not want. I mean, it's like, what do we do? This was in, this was in early January. Now, at that time, I had a guy who was my accountability partner, but really more my mentor, who was a retired engineer from NASA. He didn't trust Christ till he was in his mid fifties. This dude, I mean, he is still today my hero. He died a few years ago, but man, a guy named Luke Cowd, okay. This guy didn't know how to see anything that wasn't direct. <laughs> okay. We need those guys in our yeah. life, don't we? Yeah. So he's sitting in my office right here in this office, and and I'm sharing my heart about what's happened with the Paul team and with Lisa and Jamie and don't know what to do. And and Lou leans over to me and he says, David, how important is that partnership to you? And I said, Lou, you know how important it is. And he said, prove it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, go see him. So what? Go see him. You can't communicate safely by phone. You can't communicate by email. Go see him. It's like, just blow my mind. Within two weeks, Lou and I were on an airplane to the capital city. Jamie and Lisa agreed to meet us there. We flew in. We met at this hotel, hung out, had, you know, just all the stuff that you do and eaten and just sat around the hotel. We didn't go anywhere, just sat around the hotel and talked and talked. We were there less than 24 hours. We got on an airplane and flew home. Everything was resolved. It was relational. This statement that Lou helped me to make was, you matter to me. We're coming across the ocean to make sure we're okay. And on the flight home, Lou leaned over to me in the airplane and he said, David, if we're going to have the kind of partnerships we really need, you need to be in our partner cities every year. I'm going, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm talking, I'm thinking about the money, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, but literally from that year, from that spring, that January of I think it was three, maybe four. I have made, with a couple of exceptions, due to COVID. COVID stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, I have, not to call, not to resolve issues, but mm-hmm. to preempt them, mm-hmm. and it just love on, on families, and to to just love on the kids, 
to walk the campus and to build professional relationships with the university officials mm. in preparation for our teams coming to study the language. That, that, that was profound. But I, I, I think it's given me a chance, obviously, to be in the city. It's keeping me sharp there. It's helped me. Our partners eventually became all alums, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there right. are folks who have gone back to the field. So I'm getting to go see alums and alum kids. Yeah. Getting to see university officials who I actually was able to develop pretty decent friendships with in, in certain cities. And it, it was just, and then the other thing was it allowed me to prayerfully consider which of my alums, maybe from my generation and maybe a little younger, not current alums, that have been supporting our ministry for years. Can I tap on the shoulder and say, hey, can you get away for a couple of weeks mm. and travel around the world with me? And a great chance to just cast vision to help them literally walk the streets and see our people on the on the field. So all of that adds up to partnership. But there's just this trust that says, hey, just like Lisa and others, Hey, what do we need to do better? What's missing in our preparation, in our communication, in our follow? What do we what do we need to be careful that we're just assuming when we really should? You know, so there's a lot of relational value there. By just, you know, most of the time I'd go into mid spring, you know, and so those poor missionary kids, they they didn't even know what peeps were. <laughs> so every year I just take a box of peeps for every kid, you know, mm-hmm. those little Easter mush- uh, marshmallows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, introducing them so, to the finer things of the world. So the question is, what do you do when you're behind at editing your podcasts? And the answer is you cut it off and say, hey, next week we're going to jump back in with David. So in all seriousness, what he just finished saying is some incredibly powerful things that I think is super important for campus ministries in terms about building a partnership. Listen to that again. The value of partnership goes so, so far, so, so far. Sure appreciate David and everything he shared. We're going to be back with him again next week. He's going to share some more it will be awesome. Now, you might ask yourself, why in the world, James, are you so far behind on your podcast editing? And it's because this is mobilization season. As we speak, as you listen to it, we are knee-deep in the middle of mobilization. Actually, we're at the tail end of mobilization. So next week, I'm going to have my last big mobilization trip. I'm going to go over to Missouri once and then down to Fort Worth. Actually, I'll get to see David's son down there, so it'll be lots of, lots of excitement. But... One of these times, maybe as a staff, we'll figure out how many miles we have went as a staff going around to different campuses, trying to mobilize students, encourage students to give a summer to serve God among the nations. You know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Man, pray that with us, guys. Because right after, right after mobilization season is app reading season. And that's what comes up now. November 1st is our primary deadline for campuses to 
have apps turned in. So we're going to have, we hope a lot, we hope a lot. And, you know, as students, you never know until October 31st exactly how many are out there that just haven't quite got around to finishing it up. So be praying with us. Pray that we have a lot of students, a lot of good teams to send overseas. And I'll catch you guys next week with David. <laughs>